You're listening to BGN Radio with Brandon Lee Gowton and Jimmy Kemsky. Yo, what's going on, everybody? This is BGN Radio, episode number 351. I'm Jimmy Kemsky from phillyvoice.com. With me, as always, in his SD hat, Brandon Lee Gowton of Bleeding Green Nation. Brandon, going to get to our takeaways from the Eagles' Week 3 win in Tampa over the Buccaneers. They'd actually had a four-game losing streak against that team, snapped that, now are one of two, oh, excuse me, one of three teams in the NFL, along with the 49ers and the and the Dolphins, who are undefeated at 3-0. and uh, But before we get to all the good stuff, Brandon... Where can we find the finest meat snacks in the land? Your undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. 3-0, powered by Righteous Felon Craft Jerky, which the players are fueling up on at the NovaCare Complex. As we speak, they're literally eating it right now. I wouldn't doubt it. Probably. I can't put it past <laughs> them. So if they're good enough for the Philadelphia Eagles, they're probably good enough for you, too. Go to RightToSellin.com, discount code BZN15 for 15% off your order. You can buy in bulk and get good savings. There's a lot of different flavors to try out, a lot of different types of snacks from the biltong to the jerky to my favorite, the meat sticks, the meat snacks of any kind that you desire are available at RightToSellin.com, discount code BZN15 for 15% off your order. Jimmy, the Eagles are undefeated. Yes. They beat the Buccaneers. All is well in the world. There's nothing to complain about. The Eagles won, and that's the podcast. We'll talk to you next week, right? All right. See you, everyone. <laughs> uh, we'll bat it back. Let's do a little bat it back and forth. We'll just kind of give our takeaways one at a time. Why don't you lead us off? I am going to say that the Eagles are 3-0 and in no small part due to rookie sensation. Future defensive rookie of the year. He probably will be. Yeah. Jalen Carter. I mean, Jalen Carter is indeed the real deal as we started to see, especially late in training camp. I think back to when he just shoved Joel Batonio to the ground. And yeah. that was not a fluke. That was very nope. much a sign of things to come. Jalen Carter has really been a force to be reckoned with. And it's not just him. You know, Jordan Davis is also great, making a leap from year one to year two that whole defensive line, and specifically the interior. Fletcher Cox, I feel like he's playing the best football. Rejuvenated Fletcher Cox. So I actually have a stat for you on this. He only has half a sack this year, the one he had against the Bucs. But uh, I went back and looked at his quarterback hits. And last year, in 20 games, including the playoffs, he had 15 quarterback hits. This year, Mm -hmm. he's already up to five, I believe, or six. So, um, you know, he's on a much better pace. The, the, yeah, he had seven sacks last year, and he only has, like you said, a half sack so far this this year. But it's clear when you just watch him play yes. that he's playing better this year than he did a year ago. So uh, that whole unit on the inside is making a huge difference. And Milton, another Williams, one. Marlon Tui Peloto had a sack. He only played eight snaps. <laughs> That's he had a right. sack. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, not great when uh, the second teamers come in and they're still they're still beating up on your offensive third line. Third teamers at that point. He's, he's third your, teamers, he's your, sure. Yeah, he's your fifth defensive <laughs> tackle. There's four yeah. defensive tackles who played more snaps than him. So my big takeaway, Jalen Carter is awesome. 
The Eagles are just awesome in the trenches in general, which is why, to Howie Roseman's credit, he builds them there. And even though everything isn't necessarily perfect around that, and even though quarterback still isn't quite the quarterback from last year, doesn't always necessarily matter, or at least in terms of being able to win the game, when you're just so dang strong in the trenches. Yeah, I mean, that's their identity at this point is... I mean, it always kind of has been their identity as they built through the trenches. I mean, they spend all their first round picks and they spend, you know, a ton of money building up uh, their lines. And you see it in the stats. I mean, you look at like their rushing differential so far this year. And hold on, I have it here. It's they are, I think, second in the NFL in rushing yards. And the only team that's ahead of them right now is the Miami Dolphins because they basically treated the. The the Denver Broncos basically played like uh, the computer on rookie level in Madden this past week when the Dolphins put up seventy uh, points on By them. By the way, so the Eagles are like did a, you know the Eagles are like a dozen or did you know when that game? Because I didn't realize this. The Dolphins didn't kick a field goal to tie the record there. They just need the ball on fourth down. What is that? Tie the record, kick the field goal. I didn't goal. realize that. Lose, no. The yeah. Dolphins are losers now. The the win has been in, invalidated. <laughs> kick the field goal, tie the record, stick it to Sean Payton. Anyway, as you were saying. Sean Payton running it up on teams throughout his career yeah. probably deserved That's what I that. Mean. Yeah. What? But the Eagles have rushed for 557 yards so far this season. They've they've gotten over 200 each of the last two games. 259 uh, against the Vikings. 201 against the Buccaneers. And they've only allowed 145 rushing yards so far this year. That is best in the NFL. So they have a rushing yard differential of. Plus four twelve after three games, which is insane. Next closest team, I, I forget who it was. Um, Browns, I want to say. They're like they're three hundred something, so that's outstanding as well. But they still have a, a gap of a little less than a hundred rushing yards and differential between them and the next, you know, closest team in, in that in that stat. And, you know, they've had two teams that they've played that don't rush the ball that well in the Vikings and the Buccaneers. Certainly the Patriots want to be that kind of team with Ramondre Stevenson and Ezekiel Elliott. But the Eagles have just shut down uh, each of the rushing attacks that they have faced, uh, have made you know the, the opposing offense one-dimensional. First two teams still like beat them up, not beat them up, but like were able to move the ball through the air. And I thought the Eagles did a much better job this week against the Buccaneers. I mean, they outgained them on the whole by almost 300 yards. Like they were close to 500 yards of total offense and the Buccaneers were 170-something, I think, something like that. Yeah, 174, something like that. Does that sound right? Yeah. So, I mean, they just completely dominated this game. The scoreboard says, you know, 25 to 11, but it would have been, I mean, to close the game, they go on that 15-play drive that takes up the entire, like, nine-plus minutes of the game, and I it, it and they were just doing it in a way where they're just beating the crap of the Patriots. Excuse me, the Buccaneers' defense. Todd Bowles didn't even use his timeouts at the end of the game. I don't know if I've seen that ever, where a coach is like, "Nah, we're just going to keep these in the in our pocket." I mean, I can understand that if you're down like thirty or something like that, but they're down two scores. Like there's there are scenarios in in NFL history where teams had crazy comebacks like that. And Todd Bowles just like, nah, we're just not going to call our timeouts and we're going to concede this loss. So, I mean, the Eagles are the Eagles offensive line has proven over and over again, going back to 2021, like basically the entirety of the, of the Nick Sirianni, Nick Sirianni era. And even before that at times with Doug, 
where the offensive line can just snatch souls uh, at the end, you know, the second half of these games and just run it down teams' throats, even when they know it's coming. And now this defensive line is completely shutting down opposing, you know, offensive passing or excuse me, rushing attacks. And they're just dominating in the trenches. It's just a very physical bully like team. And they aren't kind of, they really aren't thought that way. I think like we think of the 49ers as being that or the Tennessee Titans, maybe not so much anymore, but we did think of them as that. Why aren't the Eagles thought of this just bully beat the living crap out of you kind of team nationally? Cause I think they should be. Who is the defensive coordinator of the other team who has a really good run defense this year that you mentioned earlier? Jimmy Schwartz. Hmm. It's a, a little bit of a return to form in terms of, uh, you know, a new defensive mind with no connection to Schwartz and Sean Desai, but in terms of a philosophy of kind of earning the right to rush the passer, you know, shutting down the run, making the team, other team, one dimensional and getting after them. Um, I wouldn't say it's the same thing, but I think there really does seem to be an emphasis more so under than under Jonathan Gannon on stopping the run. Um, they, and certainly they've just gotten better there with, mm-hmm. you know, adding a healthy year two Jordan Davis yep. over what the Eagles had and then adding Jalen Carter. The talent is certainly a big factor. Um, defense as a whole. I mean, just and Desai, great game. Uh, Bucks offense is not amazing by any means, but Baker Mayfield was doing some good things in the first two weeks. There's still Mike Evans there. There's still Chris Godwin there. Mm-hmm. And the defense isn't exactly loaded with superstars like they were last year in terms of, you don't have CJGJ and even hey, TJ. Edwards, you, gone. It's, it's crazy that that uh, that they actually upgraded <laughs> from Javon Hargrave. Zach Hargrave. Cunningham, it's insane. who they signed who they signed off the street. Nicholas Morrow wasn't even on the roster week one. Yeah. Um, Justin Evans got hurt. Justin Evans starting for you is already kind of a, a question mark. Yeah. And then he gets hurt. Sidney Brown gets banged up. James Bradbury's moving into the slot. Like, there's a lot of different things here that are like, going on and would be certainly good reason for the Eagles to not have such a dominant defensive game where not only uh, did they hold them the bucks to that few yards, but they also produced two points of their own with mm-hmm. the safety and then produce two turnovers and also in like in a key spot, especially with the Carter force fumble, like that was a situation where, okay, disappointing interception by Jalen Hurts. You know, there's it could be a miscommunication. Um Shane Half made an interesting point on the BGN radio postgame show where he said like he wasn't as sure as everyone else that that was definitely a miscommunication entirely as it also was just a poor throw because even if he went the other way, still kind of like been behind him. Um, he had a further breakdown of that. But in any case, uh, yeah, defense was just awesome, really, across the board. Didn't allow a touchdown until late in the game when they were clearly kind of playing a little bit more conservative and trying to not let the Bucks beat them with the big play as much as they were allowing the Bucks to kind of go on a drive there. So, And then that drive at the end, starting to flip it back to the offense, but teams don't do that. That's not like it. Like, you know, big plays happen in the NFL. I'm not trying to say the Eagles' nine-minute, nine-minute, twenty-two-second drive is more impressive than what the Dolphins did, because mm-hmm. obviously not. When you almost break the NFL record, but like big plays happen. That's that's something. Blowouts happen. Teams do not just say, "Hey, nine twenty-two left in the game. We're just going to end the game." It's it's like it, that's a badass thing to do in terms of like, and we're not even going to kick the field goal by the way, because the Eagles easily could have kicked a field goal in that fourth down there and made it a three possession game and had to deal with the kickoff and everything. They're like, nope, we're just going to go for it on fourth down and then <laughs> right. just run the clock out entirely. Yeah. Game is over. It's just it's over. Like yeah. that's that is it's imposing your will. Speaking to the 
whole thing of like toughness that you're talking about with physicality. That's toughness. I feel like from a mental standpoint, it's just like we're better than you. We have so much confidence in ourselves. You're not going to be able to stop us. Mm-hmm. We're just going to end the game right here in scoring territory. That's crazy. We'd be remiss, by the way, to not mention DeAndre Swift, of course, with the uh, run game that the Eagles put together on Monday night. 16 carries, 130 yards, 8.1 yards per carry. Didn't get in the end zone. Uh, And then, of course, the week before, uh, 175 yards. What do you have? 28 carries, I think, in that game. So he was up over six yards per carry in that game against the Vikings. Had had the the late touchdown to kind of seal that game. (laughs) Man, like, when he's in the game... There's just a difference between him and Kenny Gainwell. Not not to make you know, not to make this about you know him being better than Kenny Gainwell, but he's just different. Like he's there's a whole, but it is about that. It is especially when it comes to the coaching staff. I'm not trying to yeah. crap on Gainwell as much as I'm trying to criticize the coaching staff for thinking it's even close. The the, the O line opens up holes for both players, and you, one guy just <laughs> rips through them, and the other doesn't. So, I mean. Uh, you can't. I think sixteen carries is a is a sweet spot for DeAndre Swift to be clear. It's, Agreed. It, it gives him an opportunity to you know be a major factor in the game, but also he's not a guy in my opinion that you can have carrying you know more than twenty times per game because he's probably mm-hmm. going to get hurt at some point. So there has to be some kind of balance between him helping you now and having him when the games really matter later in the season. I actually have a trivia question for you, okay. Randy Galton of Bleeding Green Nation. Yes. What did the Eagles give up to get DeAndre Swift? It was a twenty twenty was it twenty twenty four or twenty twenty five? Twenty twenty four fifth? You tell me. I forget the year. The year thing doesn't matter to me though. That matters to more people. That matters to other people. That doesn't like I don't. It's not always oh, devalued because it's in the future. That's not my mindset. It was twenty twenty five. It was a fourth round pick in twenty twenty five. And I know it was the swap of the seventh. Uh, right. Twenty. And they wound up getting Moro Jomo anyway after the swap of seventh round picks anyway. And we haven't seen him play yet, but you and I saw him in training camp, and and everyone saw him in the preseason games where he. I thought he was good. He should be up instead of Contavious Street. By the way. But that's a whole other – who cares about mm-hmm. that right now? <laughs> but anyway, point being here is uh, they got DeAndre Swift for very little. And by the way, like you look at Detroit, Jameer Gibbs hasn't really done anything yet. And then they – He's okay. He's been he's been solid. Has he? <laughs> like yeah. he's he's kind of playing – he's kind of taking like a backseat role to uh, uh, David Montgomery. I think David Montgomery has more touches, if I'm not mistaken, so far for them. Certainly, anyway, DeAndre Swift is having a far better season than Jameer Gibbs. Right. And, you know, Gibbs is a rookie, so you might expect that to some degree. And both teams have great offensive lines. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's necessarily that can be used as, as a big excuse. But, man, they got him for very little, and he's turning out to be a hell of a player for them so far this season. Yards after contact per attempt is a statistic that Pro Football Focus has. DeAndre Swift is 12th in the NFL. Kenny Gainwell is 47th out of 40, 58 running backs. Like, what are we doing here? Why? You talk about not liking to nitpick play calling. I'm going to nitpick the play calling on fourth down early in the game when it's fourth and one and maybe like a long one, fourth and two. Why are you giving the ball to Kenny Gainwell in that situation? Like I know we had some success with the short yardage last year, but that's, that speaks more to the offensive line to me than it does. You have to have Kenny Gainwell in there. That is frustrating. And I think for the most part, the Eagles handled the usage correctly. 
There was a little too much Gainwell, I think, in the middle of the game there, a little bit. I do agree that I didn't have problems with the end. When the end, the Eagles are trying to run clock clearly. They have the game in hand. Sure. Then you can put Kenny Gainwell in there to, as you said, like kind of mitigate the amount of touches DeAndre Swift is going to. That's totally fine. But like when the game is in the balance and you're, it's undecided, you're trailing, like, Giannis Swift has to be in there. He has to be. He has to be in there. He has been awesome. The Eagles' offensive line has undoubtedly helped him out a ton. But I just do not see. And also, it's kind of funny because I think some of the the, the fantasy conversation like has been so weird juxtaposed juxtaposed with like the actual running Eagles running back stuff. Because I think some people are looking at the box score after that Eagles. Bucks game being like, oh, their touches were similar, Gainwell and Swift, so it must be a split here. No, it's not a split in terms of like who actually matters more. Uh, I think it was like Swift had 16 touches and then, or carries, and then Gainwell had eight prior to those like final drives there. And that's what it should be more like. Yeah, I mean, Swift they ran 80 touching. plays, so you're going to use your backups more in, in, in those types of games where you rack up like that many snaps. Um, okay. Also, by the way, one more, one more quick thing on the running backs. Rashad Penny didn't get any snaps at all. Um, None. He was active. He was of active. No snaps. Boston Scott has a concussion. Like if Boston Scott were active in that game, he would have gotten some carries. Certainly late yeah. in that game, I would think. Yes. And there's something about Rashad Penny that they clearly don't trust. Is Kenny Gainwell definitely better than Boston Scott? I don't think he is. Like I think. Uh, like why do the coaches Boston, love this guy so much? What the Boston hell Scott is this? Scott is really good, in my opinion. In these, uh, in I agree in, in camp and then in in the preseason games and and when he's played um, in these first two games, I thought he's he's looked really good running the ball, better than he just, have, ever has in his career, minus any time he's played against the Giants. I'm sorry to harp on it, but it's just like I don't understand the obsession when you have so many other good players on the team, yeah, including at the own position where you're like because it's opportunity costs. I always say that, but it's true. When you're giving the ball to a lesser player, you're like you're you're <laughs> you're lessening the opportunity for something even better to happen, and that could add up, and that could matter in a key moment. Anyway, uh, I would hope the coaching staff kind of starts to realize that more. Uh, why don't we take a break here before we get into I think a really important part from the game, the quarterback. But yeah. before we do, I want to plug really quickly some of the things I usually do at the end of the show, I'll throw them in here. You can follow us on social media at Brandon Gowton, at Jimmy Kemsky. You can check out the podcast account at BTN underscore radio. And you can also check out my work at winningyournation.com, Jimmy Kemsky's work at phillyvoice.com. But let's go to a break. Jimmy. Back after this. Back here on BGN Radio, let's talk about Jalen Hurts, Jimmy, because I think this is a kind of a interesting performance to assess. If you had to grade Jalen Hurts, how would you grade him from mm. for his game from Monday night? A letter grade. And let's do pluses and minuses, too, if that applies to you. C plus. Hmm. I think I'm like C, C plus. Yeah. Like a yeah, 76 I mean, he, out he of 100, maybe. He made two phenomenal plays in this game, um, both on the same drive. Like, it was the Alameda Zacchaeus drive, where he escaped pressure, mm. and then he found Zacchaeus down the left sideline. And that was a beautiful throw, by the way. Uh, I don't know if the TV feed captured it, it as well as maybe uh, in stadium view, but it was a little touch throw over the defender, 
hit Zacchaeus, who was open. You know, there weren't a lot of players around him, but it was a it was a throw that I think was, you know, sort of underratedly very good. You're and talking then, about the touchdown throw? No, 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 no. The the, oh, the, yeah. the play before that where he escaped pressure and then mm-hmm. he had seemingly had nothing, and then he found Zacchaeus down the left sideline and just a little over the defender. Now the second throw that he made, that was gorgeous. Like there's that, no, he was not open. No debate on that one. That was a like a perfect throw. But even better than the throw, in my opinion, was he just hung in the pocket forever and no like trusted his protection, you know, had his his pocket awareness on that play was outstanding. And the offensive line's job in pass protection on that play, starting with Lane, Lane Johnson, uh just completely working uh try on try on and then the rest of the eventually somebody got free from Jordan Mailata and hit Hertz after he was holding the ball for six seconds. And then he made a great throw as he was getting hit uh, to Zacchaeus, who then just kind of walked into the end zone after he made the play. Two great plays from Jalen Hurts on that drive. Otherwise, there's some missed throws. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the two interceptions, I think, you know, you mentioned the miscommunication earlier. And then the other throw, I thought actually was like it was it was an accurate throw. Like it it would have hit Devontae Smith in stride. Um, the decision making on that throw could maybe be questioned because there were two defenders mm-hmm. there. It was just kind of a YOLO ball, like you only live once kind of throw. He's like, screw it, he threw it up there, and the Buccaneers defensive back give that guy backup. By the way, I forget his name. Give that guy credit. He made a hell of a catch. Uh, on that interception. So I don't think that one was such a big deal. The miscommunication, the miscommunication you, you don't want to see, but mm-hmm. certainly, I mean, even Nick Sirianni said after the game, those are two throws that, you know, Jalen will tell you he wants to have back. So it wasn't like Nick Sirianni was forgiving those interceptions in any way. Uh, and, he, and he did place the blame on Hertz for both of them. Yeah. And there were some, you know, out of sync moments earlier in the game in terms of other miscommunications. And also when you say miscommunication, it's not like, the quarterback is totally absolved. Like the quarterback might be part of the yes. problem there in terms of not throwing it the right way or whatever. Also, I'm not saying he definitely was. I don't. I can't tell you for sure that I know that, but I'm saying like you can't just be like, oh, miscommunication, not the quarterback's fault. No, it could be. And also, uh, especially when tapping multiple times. And I thought he was behind Alameda Zacchaeus uh, in the end zone early on that first drive, I believe it was. Like he threw behind him, had him, didn't lead him, threw a little bit too behind him. That could have been a touchdown. Mm-hmm. He was in the end zone. Um, there was also that little play to Jack Stoll where like they missed him I mean, badly. Yeah. Like, but like he's staring, it's, it's a rare play where, I mean, Jack Stoll's just staring right at him. He's sitting down there underneath like a very short curl route. You're looking right at him. He's right in front of you. And you throw like outside of his frame when you could have just like hit him between the numbers. I think he just missed the throw. I think, I think it was just a, simply a bad throw. I don't think it was like he meant to throw it where he threw it. I think he just, it was just right. inaccurate. So, I just can't buy it's totally the the play design or offensive coordinator or whatever when there are throws that I feel like are there to be made. I'm not saying it's all the the Jalen Hurts either. And obviously it's acknowledged here that he was sick and there was some rain. I'm not worried about Jalen Hurts. I'm really not. I think he's going to find himself and he's going to get back on track. I think the Bucs game was a step in the right direction. And those big plays you talked about to OZ, that's part of that. I feel I'm not worried about him ultimately. But I just like you have to call a spade a spade and say he's not playing to the standard, especially the guy who talks about playing to the standard. And to put it in Jim Schwartz parlance, not giving out gold stars for these performances from Jalen Hurts. Like these are not gold star performances. That's not fair to when he does actually play really awesome because those performances 
are way better than this, and they deserve that kind of uh, praise and credit for when he does play way better than this. I do want to talk about OZ a little bit more because, you know, certainly Hertz helped him with those throws, but it's hard for me to ignore how he had 58 yards in this game and Quez Watkins in his last eight game combined. Do you know how many yards he has? I do not. He has exactly 58 oh, yards <laughs> in his last eight games combined. Yeah. When OZ had that yardage total in one game, I'm not saying it's a situation where you just don't play Quez at all anymore, especially because Quez and OZ offer different skill sets. Mm-hmm. But in week one, when they were both healthy, which is the only time they've both been healthy in a single game this year for the entire game, OZ only played seven snaps, and he didn't have a target in the first two weeks, by the way. Uh, and Quez played 78.8. Like, that's maybe a little bit... That, that Those numbers need to kind of think get a little bit closer to each other. Here's what I'll say about different skill sets, by the way. They, they do to some degree, like OZ doesn't have Watkins speed. I mean, Watkins ran, ran a four, three, five, I think it was at the combine and has shown in games that he can get open deep down the field. But the way the Falcons used uh, Zacchaeus last year was as a down the field receiver out of the slot. Like he's not your like Hunter Renfro type. Who's just running option routes, you know, inside, outside and, and, you know, getting open underneath He's he was a down the field player uh, for the Falcons last year, and, and of course, in in uh, you know on his two catches on Monday night, there were both you know plays he made down the field. So I think they can use him similarly to the way that that they use Watkins. He just doesn't is not the same kind of burner, but at the same mm-hmm. time, he's also more reliable in terms of hands and in terms of being where he's supposed to be, which was mm-hmm. uh, you know a, a, an issue for for Watkins last year. I don't mean to kill Watkins because he's out. He's hurt. Like he's got an in- hamstring injury. Didn't play. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly, I think they have to look at this performance by OZ and you know have to have a choice to make on who's going to get more snaps when Watkins is healthy again. Um, what else on the offense here that I have? Silver lining uh, on Hurts, by the way, too. Like a few different silver linings on that. First of all, he's not delusional about his play. Like he's owned up to you know, maybe not playing to the standard that he raised his game to uh, a year ago. So that's good to see. Like there have been quarterbacks in the past that have played here where they were delusional about the way they played in certain games. So he's not. Mm. And then from a 60,000 foot view, it's kind of incredible that the Eagles have won some of these. I mean, all three of these games, maybe not the Patriots game, but the last two games were never really that like much in doubt, I would say. Um, and they're doing it without stellar play from their stellar mm-hmm. quarterback. So that's a good sign going forward when the offense does start clicking. They're going to be dominating teams, you'd think. And I think the way that the schedule played out for the Eagles where they're getting not bad teams uh, early in the season, but certainly not the gauntlet of like beastly teams that they're going to have beginning around what week nine or 10 or whatever it is. When they play the Cowboys, Chiefs, Bills, 49ers, Cowboys. Well, um, maybe even earlier, the Dolphins coming up. Dolphins, of course, too. Yeah, I mean, that's their first. I mean, Dolphins might. Dolphins were like the number one team in a lot of people's power rankings. (laughs) After after they should be. They scored 70 effing points. Of course. And they're 3-0 and they looked impressive in their first two games, too. So that game's week seven. They have one, two, three games in between them to kind of get right. Uh, you know, not get right because they look right in a lot of different ways. But 
uh, for Hertz to kind of raise his game too. By the way, the other, the other silver lining or the other, maybe not excuse that I'll make, but the other thing to point out is they faced Bill Belichick, they faced Brian Flores, and they mm-hmm. faced uh, Todd Bowles. Three, I mean, Nick Sirianni called Todd Bowles the best defensive coordinator in the NFL, even though he's a head coach, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, so like he has been tested mentally to an extreme degree over these first three games. And then, you know, I think it tapers off this week, beginning with Jack Del Rio, who is not on the level of those guys. Um, but it's, it's, it, I think it was a good thing for Jalen Hurts to face these three, you know, elite defensive minds the first three games of the season to really challenge him mentally. And they got through it with a 3 0 record. I was counting real quick. So I was counting my power rankings to see. It's funny. I was like, where do I have all three Eagles opponents that they played so far? And I have. Very oddly, not on purpose, I have the Vikings at 21, the Patriots at 22, and the Bucks at 23. So ah, all sandwiched okay. right together. <laughs> um, just like kind of outside of that bottom 10 teams. Certainly yeah. not uh, to the worst teams. Also, obviously not good teams. Averages to below averages teams. Uh, AJ Brown. Probably should talk about him. Yep. He is weird because he played a season low snap count so far uh, this percentage year. Percentage wise or total? Yeah, percentage wise. Okay. But he saw a season high. Hmm, interesting. AJ Brown, who <laughs> did not talk to Jalen Hurts about targets, including to himself in the locker room last week, just so happened to get a season high, almost career high. There's only two games where AJ Brown has been targeted more than he was on Monday night. And that was the Titans 49ers game that was like he really stood out in that one. I think it was only like a Thursday night, it was a primetime game back in 2021, I believe. Um, and then the, uh, what was it? I forget, Eagles-Steelers or Eagles-Titans game from last year? It doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, Eagles-Bears, sorry. Eagles-Bears game from last year. Those are the only two games where he had more targets. He had 16 in each of those, whereas he had 14 against the Bucks. And, I mean, Next not closest player was seven with Goddard. Yes. Goddard had seven targets. So he had double the next closest you know, guy in the target sheet. I'm not going to complain about them getting him the ball often and also early. I think it was a great call to pass to him uh, early on in the game, twice out of the first two pass attempts and get him involved and get him going and make him feel like he's part of the game plan. So uh, I was never, neither of us were ever really worried about that, but it is funny to kind of downplay it and then see a game where he leads the team in targets by far. Yeah, I think some people have a problem with that where like you want to be careful about, um, you know, having the squeaky wheel get the oil because it sends a bad message to the other players on the team where they might start thinking like, oh, well, I should complain about whatever and then I'll get the ball more now. Like like A.J. Brown is a superstar player and I think you're fine with, especially at that position where you almost kind of expect wide receivers to you know, complain when they don't get the ball. And you know, mm-hmm. that's a sucky position to play when you're not getting the ball because you're just running routes, running routes all day. And then if the ball isn't coming your way, it sucks. You feel like, you know, you're just kind of getting cardio out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for AJ Brown to, you know, for them to go out of, the, I don't know if they went out of the way to, to get him the ball. It certainly seems that way, but that's fine. <laughs> like it's fine to, to make your players happy in my opinion. And for, I think for AJ Brown, I think sometimes you see him play a little differently. Like when he's getting the ball a lot, he seems more invested. So why not just get him the ball often early in the game 
and um, you, you're going to get maybe a different player. And maybe that's a maybe that's a, a flawed trait of AJ Brown's. But so what? Like, just get him the ball, and and he'll play better. And I think that's a fine thing to do. Um, I mean, if you weren't like an like a star type player, then you know, shut up, AJ mm-hmm. Brown. <laughs> but he is a star player, so feed him. It's totally fine for them for them to get him the ball early and often. Uh, what else do you have here? Uh, let's go to. Nicholas Morrow, who hmm. made a big play uh, on the safety and has played well, <laughs> like surprisingly. He's wearing the, the quote-unquote green dot helmet um, in place of N'Kobe Dean. And I don't necessarily think that there's, um, you know, like a, a, a linebacker controversy shaping up here when whenever Nicobe Dean returns from injury. I don't think he's played to that level quite uh quite yet. But when we look at like what Nicholas Morrow was, he was a signing that cost very little, although he was projected heading into training camp to be the starter opposite Nicobe Dean, did not have a good camp, and in fact was outplayed by Zach Cunningham, who joined the team like midway through camp, uh, didn't even make the final 53-man roster. So at best, heading into the regular season, he was the fourth linebacker and a guy that was on the practice squad. And now he's the best linebacker on the team uh, of of the players that they have available. So a hat tip to Nicholas Morrow for making the most of the opportunity that he has since gotten. And, you know, maybe he's like a Patrick Robinson type guy who mm. just had, you know, a, I know that you like to point out that they were playing Patrick Robinson on the outside and then he played better when they moved him yeah, inside. Yeah, it's different. I know that you like to point that out, but. Well, because people act like it was just like, oh, he was terrible, <laughs> then he was great for, randomly. That's not true. Like the equation changed. If you change the equation, so will the outcome change. But I think that but Nicholas yes, Morrow can this would have apply. a similar uh, outcome here where. He did not look good early in camp, and um, I don't know. Maybe he just takes a little time to get comfortable, and he's got now that he's gotten comfortable, he's playing better. I also don't think it hurt that they lit a fire under him. I think you and I, I think you specifically mentioned this during training camp, especially looking back on it, was that like I think Morrow started to play better once they brought in those other vets. I think right, maybe that yes. helped him raise his game a little bit, knowing that, okay, I'm on the hot seat here. I really have to step it up. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes competition truly does bring out the best in people. So I kind of buy that a little bit. Um, and Cunningham's been fine too. Like uh, I think they, the linebackers have both been fine. And when Dean comes back, it'll be interesting to see like what the arrange. Christian Ellis has barely played at all these last two games, yeah. by the way. So I think he's not really in the picture in terms of, I mean, right. he's certainly going to be a core special teamer for them for the whole season. Um, but it looks like his defensive snaps aren't going to be there. But it'll be interesting to see what the dynamic is when Nakobe Dean returns. Like, is he a three-down linebacker, or do they have him sit in certain situations? Because uh, I think that uh, Cunningham and Mora have played well enough, or it's at least a conversation. I think we are owed an apology. Okay. When it comes to Britton Covey, because both of <laughs> you and I had the Eagles keeping him on their 53 men roster. And there was a lot of like, why do you need to keep him? He's not even that good. Oh, he returns punts. He's not even that good. Britton Covey, who is not that good, according to our good friend John Gnode, Eagles PR, since week 13 of 2022, he leads the NFL in punt return yards with 291. 
He leads the NFL in punt return average at 14.6. Right, that one's more meaningful, le- of course. He leads the NFL in uh, punt returns of 10-plus yards yep. with 13, in 15-plus with 9, in 20-plus with 5, and then in 25-plus with 4. Britton Covey, shocker, is a good punt returner. Who would have known based on him being a good punt returner since late last year? And obviously the fumble was bad against the Vikings. Yeah. But there was like this weird energy when that happened. It was like, oh, what are they doing with Covey? Like, he stinks. He's bad. Like, what are you talking about? Why did we just – he made a good punt return in the Super Bowl. He had a good punt return in that game. Maybe people have tried to wipe that out of their memory, that game. Understandable, that part of it. But, like, I just he, – he's good. He's a good punt returner. He's a very good punt returner. Yeah, he had three punt returns for 80-something yards, I think. And the one return was over 25 yards. Um was it 25 yards exactly? I don't remember exactly, but he, or no, he had a, like a 53 yarder, right? A 53 yard return, was it? Yep. Yeah. So he had a, he had a and like they scored three points. They, they didn't score a touchdown on that drive. They got a field goal. So he was, he was directly responsible for three. Like if that drive goes exactly how it mm-hmm. had gone, minus the 53 yard return, they don't have those three points in right. theory. So yeah, I mean, he's kind of responsible for three of the points that the Eagles had early in that game. Uh, but yeah, he's a good player. And like, I remember like having, you know, debates back and forth with, with some Eagles fans on like, you know, they should, he should just call fair catches all the time. Don't even try to return punts. And like, come on, like that, that's just, that's just not reality. It's not how it works. And I've seen like, you know, some discussion on, you know, Devin Allen should be the punt return. No, <laughs> no. First of all, you have to be able to catch the punt, which is a lot easier said than done. Uh, but Covey's been returning punts for years and years and years. De- you want De- Devin Allen returning kicks, as he did week three, by the way? Fine. Like, that's a totally different skill set, totally different ball mm-hmm. game. Um, but returning punts, like, it's very clear that Britton Covey is a good returner, as you mentioned, and is the Eagles' primary punt returner and will be that the rest of the season. Why don't we take another break here, and we'll get back to some more observations that we have, but not before we hear about our favorite adult beverage that we can possibly drink. Jimmy, what is that? Yeah, I got one right here. Are we doing video yet, by the way? Are we on that? Not yet. Okay. Well, I'm showing the I'm showing it anyway. Quarterback factory. Jimmy is showing <laughs> a can of wrong crowd beer from wrongcrowdbeer.com. I'm not gonna crack it because it's eleven nineteen AM as we're recording this. <laughs> so and I have to go to the Novacare complex today. Uh, for media availability. So I'm not going to be cracking a beer right now, but I'm looking forward to cracking that bad boy later. Wrongcrowdbeer.com is where you can order from them online. Go to wherever you buy your beer and ask for Wrong Crowd Beer. And as I like to say, they don't have Wrong Crowd Beer. Threaten them in some way. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But say, yo, dude, get some Wrong Crowd Beer in here. It's good stuff for me. Do it for me, please. Uh, Or check them out. Go go there. Have have some dinner. It's a it's also a restaurant. Yes. Uh wrong crowd beer in uh Westchester, PA. Nice little fun town. Uh go check them out there. Brandon. You know what I really want to get from there? I saw on their menu I meant to get that last time when we were there, but I was too focused on the show to order any food. Um they have like jalapeno stuffed bacon jalapeno poppers, I believe, mm-hmm. on the menu there. I mean, those sound great. I want Rich some of them. Bobby had a plate of wings. And yes. they looked freaking delicious. And he offered me one, and I felt bad, like, 
taken a wing off his plate, so I didn't. Oh. <laughs> but I really wanted to. Uh, but yeah, they looked they looked awesome, and he said like they were really really good. Bacon wrapped jalapeno poppers, jalapeno stuffed with a cheddar jack and cream cheese filling, wrapped in crispy bacon, served with a side of chipotle ranch. I mean, mm. Come on, okay. I want some of them. Okay, wrongcrowdbeer.com, and we will be back after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back here on BGN Radio. Jimmy, what is your next observation? Reed Blankenship is just a really oh, good football player. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's just always in the right spot. And he made a play where uh, they didn't throw to his side of the field, but he, he read the play and he, he ran over and got in front of the pass and made an interception. It was a big play in that game. The Eagles wound up not getting points off of that turnover, turnover if I recall correctly. Um, but, man, he's just in the right spot all the time. And... Uh, it's easy to see why, you know, the, the, we always, we kind of thought like heading into training camp that it was like a three-way battle for two starters to emerge out of Reed Blankenship, Sidney Brown, and I'll get to Sidney Brown in a second too, by the way, Sidney mm-hmm. Brown and Terrell Edmonds. And as it turned out, there was no question whatsoever that Reed Blankenship was, you know, the starter from day one of training camp. And it's been easy, and it was easy easy to see what the Eagles saw in him throughout training camp because he took the ball away from the Eagles offense more than any other player by far uh, throughout camp. And, you know, that has now translated into the regular season. So good to see him make a big play from the Eagles perspective. By the way, the other starter wound up being Justin Evans, who wasn't part of that discussion Mm -hmm. uh, before training camp began. But another development that happened in this game, you mentioned James Bradbury playing in the slot. Uh, earlier. Yes. Sidney Brown got some reps in the slot too, which I thought was an interesting development. He got hurt, so he didn't play a ton of snaps. And it'll be interesting to see like how quickly he can come back from was a shoulder injury, right? Or no, no, hamstring for him. I think it happened on the play where he broke up the pass for Mike Evans in the end zone. I think that was the play that it happened on. I think he didn't return after that. Justin Evans got hurt, of course. I think you mentioned that earlier. So we'll see like what the safety arrangement looks like in week four against the commanders, but interesting development that they put, they not only played Sidney Brown uh, substantial snaps for the first time in a game, but that they played him at a spot that we didn't see him often play uh, throughout training camp and, you know, playing sort of like a slot corner type of role. So uh, yeah, just, you know, Reed Blankenship, really good player and interesting to see a little more being put on Sidney Brown's plate. I saw some people suggesting chalk doc. As a nickname for Reed Blankenship, uh, his teammates call him Ghost. Um, whatever Wait, you want to what call, call him, Chalk, like C H A L K. Okay. Space Doc for like Dawkins D A. Why Chalk? Well, Jimmy, I'm gonna have to let you figure that one out. Oh wait, Reed Blankenship, you're talking about? Yes. Oh, okay. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was Sidney no. Brown you were talking about. Yeah. No, no, no. no. Sorry, okay. Reed Blankenship. Right. Yeah, he's a white guy. Yeah. By the way, who, who played uh, 100% of the snaps after not being able to play last week as well. And I mean, the the we've said we've been saying the right place knows to be in the right place thing for a long time, but like it's just so true in terms of 
and and like he'll make plays in run support, right place. He'll make that play he made. This isn't like I'm not trying to slander CJ DJ here. Don't get me wrong, but there were some CJ DJ interceptions last year that were kind of just like very fortuitous, and that they were like tipped right to him or they were bounced to him. And I'm not saying he had none where he made the play happen, mm-hmm. but Reed Blankenship's play, his interception, is not just like a gift from the quarterback. Like he made that play just like he did on Aaron Rodgers right. in his first yeah. uh, NFL playing time, really extended ever. So, uh, yeah, he's really good. And again, I have been kind of, I know uh, p- different people want to claim him. Like you've claimed him because you, you highlighted him in college multiple times. Bo Wolf has claimed him as a training training. No, camp it's not. Crush. He's not Bo Wolf's guy. I highlighted him twice. Two straight I, years he, when he at Middle Tennessee State when he played. I there. was really bang. I was probably loudly banging the. <laughs> I was. I think I was the loudest person, or at least I was the most loudly banging the drum for him last year when they were playing Kayvon Wallace over him, being like every week, like why is Kayvon Wallace in over him? Like Reed Blankenship should be the third safety. I, I had him making the roster last year. I don't whatever, know. If, I'm saying I don't know how many people say, did had him had him making the roster. Whatever you want to say, but like this summer, I think during some of the pods during training camp or even leading up to the season, I'm like, I think this guy can be a pro bowler. Yeah. Like, I don't know when, but I think he has that kind of ceiling. I don't know if y'all have said that. And if you have, then kudos. But I feel like, like I feel just, and whatever, credit aside, who cares? But the point is, oh, like, I want I think my credit. No, not who cares. I, I, the thing I was saying about him, though, was that like, I don't think people are crediting his i don't think they're they think he has a high of a ceiling as he might and i think he has a very high ceiling again i think he can be a pro bowl kind of player even he's awesome and uh the rest of the eagle safety position we'll see uh, i think Sidney brown obviously had that big breakup it's also a bad throw by baker like i thought you know any quarterback a regular quarterback any quarterback worth their salt just makes that throw to mike evans and mike evans kind of dropped it too it was like a weird like pass breakup slash mike evans still could have caught it even despite that anyway um, my instant analysis on chalk doc by the way that's a terrible nickname first of all it doesn't even rhyme and then secondly it just doesn't it doesn't flow off the tongue come up something better we can we can we don't we don't have to rush to come up with a nickname find something that's good speaking and, of and you don't have to force it well, what are your feelings on the brotherly shove? Because that's being so. It's too late. As a potential tush push. It's too late. You're not going to the tush push mm. is already so well established, and it's been in so many headlines. And everyone, that's what everyone calls it. Now, if mm. it had been called brotherly shove from the outset, that is a way better name for it. I'm I'm certainly on uh, on board with that. But it's too late. The tush push is already in the NFL uh, vernacular at this point. And that's not going to change. Why do you think people get so mad about the like the actual play? <laughs> I don't. I just. I, I legit, like when Peter King is like, it's not a football play. Like, why? Why is it not you, a football? It play? literally it says is you. A, it, so here. <laughs> so here's the thing. Is it a play? Yes. Right. It's. We can all agree on yeah. that. It is a play. Okay. So that one is it happening during a football game? Okay. So it's a football. It literally is a football play. And also, like, since when is like, tr- like guys in the trenches being physical with each other like why is that not football that is like the essence of football big men like being physical and moving each other how is that not football yeah right even if it doesn't mean that the qb sneak like in like just as a play at all is not a football play it's the same thing it's just there's a little added element with guys pushing them from behind so like people make this and if you want to take that away 
are you now also taking like a, you have a running back fighting for a first down and then you know uh-huh. you see all the time where they get stood up and then offensive line come the offensive line yep. come from behind them oh, boom not, not and they and they push him forward for a first down or whatever is that now outlawed too if you outlaw the tush push right or the brotherly shove or whatever you want to call it also why was it not ever a point of contention when Tom Brady was like unstoppable sneaking <laughs> right. the ball. Why was that never yes. an issue? Everyone's mm. like, oh, this is amazing. Tom Brady oh, is that. He's, he's so good at that. It's such an underrated thing that he, oh my God, I, I'm i going to take my pants off. <laughs> but no. Yes, Jimmy actually <laughs> did not do that. We should have turned the video on for this. I mean, people would love to see that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's such a weird thing. Like Jason Kelsey said on his podcast, like uh <laughs> he was making fun of the rugby point where it's a rugby yes. play and he's like, "Well, a lot of people love rugby." So, right. <laughs> like screw are you, you telling King. all the people that like rugby like screw you and like you're wrong for liking rugby? Like so like rugby and football right. are, have a lot of similarities. They play with the same kind of ball. Like there's, you see Butters in the background, by the way. Though? I do. He wants yeah. out. Uh, sorry, buddy. Can't leave yet. You you took a nap at the wrong time, and now you're stuck in here for the remainder of the podcast. Uh, but yeah, so like his point was like, what's wrong with it? The, he made the point like, first of all, what's wrong with rugby play if if it resembles rugby, and then also like the NFL steals from a, a lot of concepts from other sports as well. Like he named basketball and like the triangle offense and the whole idea about spacing and that kind of thing. So there are elements taken from every sport. Why not also rugby, which also, by the way, resembles football a lot. And also like the other argument is it's quote unquote unstoppable. Well, it's clearly not because the Colts got stopped doing it. The Jaguars got stopped trying it. The who am I missing? I mean, Jordan Love tried to run it kind of (laughs) maybe, but then... I had three examples. I pulled video of them, and not even including that Packers play where they just got stopped. So it's not that everyone can do it. It's the Eagles can do it because they're awesome at it. They've been working on it for a long time. They have, you know, two Hall of Fame offensive linemen. They have an absolute mauler in Landon Dickerson, uh, who who moves piles. They have Jordan Mailata who moves piles. Like they have a, a quarterback who can squat six hundred pounds. It's not mm-hmm. that it's unstoppable because the play is unstoppable. It's un it's unstoppable when the Eagles do it because they're awesome at it. And by the way, it wouldn't change if they they took away right. the tush push element of right. it. They'd still convert these QB sneaks at, at an extremely high rate. I'm just mm-hmm. I'm just opposed to the idea of taking a play out because a certain faction of the people that cover the league just don't like it because it's aesthetically unpleasing to them. And also because it works. So, so like the point that Jason Kelsey made too, is like, okay, Justin Tucker can make 60 yard field goals. Can he just no longer kick 60 yard field goals because he can do it and no one in the league can, or like, do you just take Patrick Mahomes out in two minute situations? Because he's so much better at that than any other quarterback in the league. Like, so where's the line drawn in terms of like taking something away from a team that, that they, they do really well that the rest of the league does not. I mean, Diana Rossini is literally tweeting like, should there be a limit per game? Like, what are you talking no, about? What are you talking Diana? about? What, what is that even? I'm sorry to like crap on her. I think she does. A good I job love Diana. Whatever, like, I'm very disappointed to like, hear that. What the hell is that? What, where's that? What are you even talking about? What is that? What do you mean? That'd be so insane. You like, just no. And also like, I, I just can't, the Peter King thing, it, it just perplexes me. Like, and it, it disappoints me because Peter King is a very like influential voice in terms of his readers. And I'm sure maybe people in the NFL, like, and for him to be just like spreading this BS 
is I think it's irresponsible, quite frankly. I think it's just like you're going to legislate a play out of the game because one team is good at it. That's unacceptable. I, I couldn't imagine Jeffrey Lurie. Like, if you're Jeffrey Lurie, I mean, imagine how you feel about that. Everyone else just like wants to gang up on you because you do this thing well and they're just going to take it out. Like, that's no, there's no basis for that. Yeah, it's, anyway, it's, it is. It's BS. The discourse on it, I, we just spend a bunch of time talking about it, but like, I hate it. It just sucks. Because it's it's not... kind of funny to me at this point because it's it's very okay. fun to make fun of. Uh, and it, and it's also kind of funny that like every time they run it during a game, especially if it's in prime time and every, like it's the only thing people have to watch, it's yeah. very – like you can go, oh, people are going to get really mad <laughs> because they did the, the push, the tush push. So like people uh, fuming about it is like kind of funny to me. I have some like – not like big topics here, but some, well, some, some quick hitters I want to get to before we wrap up. Quiet start to the year for Hassan for Reddick, who didn't even log a stat in this game in the box score. Um, I'm not concerned about him. He did start slow last year, and then he had one and a half sacks against the Washington Commanders in week three. Mm-hmm. I think this could be another week where that kind of another Washington Commanders game that potentially gets him going. We'll get more into that matchup. More uh, notably, you know who he's going to be squaring off against from a a matchup standpoint? The ultimate confirmation that the field was terrible because Andrew Wiley (laughs) effing sucks. The Commanders signed that dude to a big deal because he had a great game in the Super Bowl because he shut down Hassan Reddick. Guess what he's guess what he did before last uh, that the Super Bowl last year? He allowed the fourth most sacks in the league. Guess what he's doing this year? And he's already allowed three, which I think is tied for the second most among tackles. He sucks. He's not good. It is like this ultimate fraudulence that he had a good game in the Super Bowl, and it was aided by a field. Anyway, I don't need to rehash the field thing. But point being, I'm not worried about Hassan Reddick. He does uh, have a decent amount of pressures, whatever those are worth, according to PFF. Uh, it's not like top of the league, but it's like 40 ish. So point being that like, he's not like doing literally nothing out there. This isn't Ryan Kerrigan, Robert Quinn doing nothing at all, but he certainly, we haven't seen the numbers there and potentially the thumb injury is an issue, but I'm, I'm willing to, uh, say that he's going to be okay. Andrew Wiley. Um, so uh, just take a very quick step back. I, I'd like look at every Eagle sack allowed on the season every year. And I determine like who I think is at fault. And I'm a lot more harsh on assigning blame on individual players than pro football focuses. So like normally like the number of sacks that I'll assign to players is higher than what they have assigned to players. And last year they had Andrew Wiley down for nine sacks, which is a lot, but it's also probably higher than that because they're more forgiving than, than like I than I am. And when I when I look at that, of course, I didn't look at all of you know I didn't watch every Chiefs sack last year or whatever to you know know that for sure. But if he's at nine, which is already a high number, is probably more than that. So far this year, they got him down for three in three games. And by the way, the Commanders we'll get all, into all this in the next episode. But as long mm-hmm. as I'm rolling here, they've allowed nineteen sacks. 19. I think so far this year, and the next closest team. I forget who that is, uh, has allowed 13. So there's a mm. gap of six sacks between them and the next Yikes. closest team on sacks allowed. Uh, so, you know, this is, a, a, this is a game where if there is a game where Hassan Reddick can really kind of take off yep. and where he probably will be especially motivated given who he'll be personally oh, matched up yeah. against. You know, these guys wearing like zero sack shirt. By the way, like Patrick Mahomes wiggled out of some of those, some plays in that game too. Like it's not like the offensive line was that, 
great or and the field sucked. Come on, right. you know you had yeah you had the game of your life. I'm sure you did. I'm sure it had nothing to do with some weird condition. I'm sure Hassan Reddick will be asked about uh, Andrew Wiley at some point this week. Also, maybe by me. Like <laughs> and I'm and I'm also even I'm also sure he's going to downplay it. <laughs> but uh, sorry, go ahead. I thought some of the Chiefs taunting after the Super Bowl was weird, like that. Juju. And juju thing. And there's <laughs> yeah. also like there's like Chiefs campaign or some like Eagles Tears thing drink that, that they were selling in Kansas City. It's like, where's this coming from? Right. The Eagles there was no beef between the Eagles and Chiefs fans at all. And also the Eagles were very gracious in their defeat. They were nothing but gracious. Right. Did not blame gracious, did not say. blame the field. So like, you know, like did not blame the, the call on James Bradbury at the end of the game. James Bradbury like said, right. I held him. You know, like so like yeah, it's a very weird it was, and like you have like the whole, you know, Kelsey brothers thing and their mom and like yeah. I thought like the vibes between those two teams was like very friendly. And I don't think he got terrible. It wasn't like, you know, 49ers level or, you know. Yes. But it was also just like, it was a little weird to me from a standpoint of, look, you won the Super Bowl, you know, talk your talk, whatever. But, but I don't know, make it about you and not like, you don't have to tear down. Eagles also played great. I don't It was just very yeah, weird to me. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, and then the, the zero sacks thing was also, it felt so personal. It was like, okay, what's the message here? Like. The son Reddick isn't good now, actually, or <laughs> right. something. Or like you, you really shut him down. Really, that's what you did. Like there wasn't a, again. Like anyway, uh, moving on. Anyway, that, he'll he'll say that he's not especially motivated by this matchup, but he one hundred percent will be. He and he should be. And it's also going to be so. It's like almost annoying to me. Like, what if he just has a game where he is like, you know, two and a half sacks even. It's like, yes, this exactly this proves the field. If Sonrak goes off, it just speaks more to against Wiley. It speaks more to that field just being awful. Mm-hmm. I also have something on Hassan Reddick's one of his backups, Nolan Smith, who we saw a flash for the first time really this season. He had that big hit mm-hmm. on Baker Mayfield uh on that play where um Mayfield took a shot down the field after stepping up in the pocket. Thought that was nice to see. That's kind of that's the kind of thing you want to see from Nolan Smith in terms of like hustle, effort, like yeah. you know, really going out there and making his uh, presence felt when he can. And he only played in seven defensive snaps in week one, six in week two, six in week three. So he clearly has a small role right now. But go out there, make the most of it. And I will say that that one quarterback hit he has is the same amount of quarterback hits that Derek Barnett has in his last nine games Ugh. combined. So maybe, he, by the way, he should have been flagged maybe for a late I hit on the quarterback. And he was lucky. He didn't. Yeah. He basically just jumped on top of uh, Baker Mayfield after it was already down. So it's so stupid. He's still doing <laughs> like to stop decrease Derek Barnett snaps a little bit. Let's see a little bit more Nolan Smith. I know it's not necessarily the same exact position, but come on. They're edge rushers. Figure it out. Uh, yeah, like Barnett's going to play in like the goal line situations, and he's probably better in that, those situations than Nolan Smith would be because he's heavier and probably, theoretically more stout against the run, I guess. But uh, yeah, in terms of just pass rush opportunities, mm-hmm. Barnett shouldn't be getting any any of those. They should all be going to Nolan Smith instead. Mm-hmm. By the way, Nolan Smith is maybe a beneficiary of, and I don't think there's. First of all, to be very clear, I don't think he should be getting any kind of criticism at all because he obviously is playing behind Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat and Brandon Graham and a lot of, you know, very good edge rushers. But I think if in a different world where Jalen Carter isn't absolutely crushing it and Jordan Davis isn't absolutely crushing it, he probably would be getting some heat after these first three games for the, you know, low number of snaps that 
he's playing, or maybe the Eagles mm-hmm. would be getting heat for not playing him more or whatever. But there, I think more fans would be annoyed with, I guess, his level, the, the, the amount that he's played so far these first three games, either blaming him for not being good enough to play, which would be a ridiculous argument, or blaming the Eagles mm-hmm. for not playing him more, which may be some validity to that. But, uh, you know, he's, we haven't heard any of that from anyone that, as far as I know, uh, probably because Davis and Carter are absolutely destroying out there. Any more observations? Yeah. One more thing, just not necessarily from the game, but the Eagles won and Hmm. all three of the NFC East teams lost. Um, the giants lost, of course, Thursday night, as everyone expected them to, to the 49ers. I'll get to the side note on that in a second. Commanders got their asses kicked by the Bills. And the Cowboys, holy crap, lost mm. to the Cardinals. The, the Jonathan Gannon Cardinals, Kaiser White, had a big interception and was yapping at Dak after that, more or less. No, game. It, was before, it was before the Oh, it pick. was before that. Okay, I thought it was after yeah. the pick. Huh, interesting. He, did, he pulled Avante's perfect. He pointed at the quarterback. <laughs> and also, he was wearing number seven. And also, they were in Arizona. So, you know, some <laughs> oh, wow, Avante's perfect yeah. energy okay. there. Interesting. Uh, some of the discourse after the Giants lost to the 49ers was that they, they played hard and they really didn't back down and they got, they got beat 30 to 12. What are you talking about? They couldn't tackle anyone in that game. Like Debo Samuel was just running through tacklers like crazy and not even, not just him, like all the, and certainly like the 49ers have a lot of skill position players who are known for breaking tackles and get yards after the catch. But I think it was like. Over 200 of their of their like roughly 300 receiving yards came after the catch. They couldn't tackle anyone, and like we're, they're getting credit for playing hard in that game. They lost 30 to 12. That team sucks. What are we talking about? But anyway, the, the overall point being here is the Eagles won their game, and all three of the NFC East teams lost their games. I was actually curious to go back and look to see how many times that's happened in the last X number five six years or whatever. Haven't gotten around to that yet, but um, it doesn't, doesn't happen. Feel common. It doesn't happen that much. I don't think, especially recently, you know, the Cowboys and Eagles have been holding last year. Like, Certainly last year, they serve. odd winning records, right? Or I guess the commanders yeah. were eight, eight and one, but um, there weren't. Yeah. I mean, they didn't just as a division, they didn't lose many games last year. So whenever that happens, you know, it's kind of like a pull away kind of week where you separate yourself from the rest of the division. So, you know, good week through and through, <laughs> for the Eagles in week three of the NFL season. Talked about the division more on the NFC East mixtape with RJ Ochoa. He was not as distraught as some people would have liked him to be. <laughs> but I think that's in part because he is. They wanted him to feel just, more pain. Yeah, I think he's thinking, you know, it's probably more of a one-off loss, which I think in some ways it is. But I think there are other valid concerns for sure that will be certainly an issue moving forward. And specifically as it relates to an Eagle or an Eagles fan and the Eagles. You're looking at that Cowboys run defense. You're like, hmm. Yeah. I've. I, can to... I get through to, to a couple of my concerns for the Cowboys real quick? Okay. There's that. The run defense does not look good. Two, uh, and this was always going to be a concern for them, is their offensive line health. And that didn't even kill oh, yeah. them in that game, by the way, but they were missing three starters, I think, in that game against mm-hmm. the Cardinals. Yes. And the big one for me is Tony Pollard is on pace for more touches this season than Zeke Elliott ever got in his career at the Cowboys. And we all know that the Cowboys just ran that guy into the ground. And beyond Tony Pollard, you have Rico Dowdell, 
and you have Deuce Vaughn. And I don't know if you watched the telecast of that game. I think it was actually on during the Red Zone Channel too. When Moose Johnston said the Cowboys have a great running back room. It's not just Tony Pollard, but they have a great running back room because they have Rico Dowdell and Deuce Vaughn. Like, what are you talking about? First of all, those guys heading into that game, I think had 29 career carries combined for, I think it was like, either 80 something yards or 90 something yards. It was below a hundred yards mm. and combined. They have like 3.2 or 3.3 yards per carry or something like that. What the hell are you talking about? Moose Johnson. So like if Tony Pollard eventually does wear down and by the way, Tony Pollard has never carried a heavy workload either in college at Memphis or right. in his first four years, I think in the NFL, um, mm-hmm. He's good chance he wears down at some point the season if they continue to use him this way. And if they don't continue to use him this way, they're going to be hurt because they need him. Like they they need him to be a playmaker for this offense because they don't have a whole lot else. Like CeeDee Lamb is is a great player. Brandon Cooks hasn't done anything for them yet. Mm-hmm. Michael Gallup isn't the same player that he was before he tore his ACL. So, I mean, they have problems going forward. And the two games to start the season, maybe a little bit of uh Fool's goal. I mean, not fool's goal because their defense is great and played great. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the offensive side of the ball, they didn't really need them to produce much in those first two games. But now in a game where they did, they faltered and in a bad way. Very interested to see how they do against the Patriots this week. I like the points in that game. We'll get to our picks against the spread, obviously, yep. in the preview episode. But Patriots might kind of muck it up a little bit and make it interesting. But we'll see. We will see how that goes. Again, NFC's mixtape. Uh, video version available on the Bleeding Green Nation YouTube channel. Um, check it out. Even though RJ wasn't as distraught as you want him to be, I think people will still enjoy the episode because... Uh, <laughs> How dare you not be mad, RJ? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, my final thought this week is let's go Phils, baby. I watched them clinch last night. Very exciting. Very cool that they not only clinched the a wild card a wild card spot with the walk off win but then the cubs lost which then means the eagle or sorry the phillies get the um top wild card mm-hmm. spot and will thus be hosting a series probably next the diamondbacks week. right uh i don't think we know that for sure but i it's yeah, they're leaning probably in that be direction i think is that right and that's scary cuz they're not bad but anyway uh i trust them the well, i mean any team that makes the playoffs isn't going to be bad I mean, there, but there is, especially for a wildcard team, some of the other wildcard teams look a little bit, I think, shakier is the point okay. than them, but they look especially kind of decent, but whatever. This isn't whatever. I don't know. I like that it's not uh, a single game, like, elimination thing. At least it's sure. best of three. The uh, CBP, Citizens Bank Park, for those unfamiliar, is going to be rocking. I went last year to... Uh, game against the Braves, and then one. I went to the no hitter in the World Series, which sucks so much. Um, where it was a collective no hitter, to be clear. Yeah, but still, it was not fun to watch the Phillies in person in the World not Series. Not getting any hits. Didn't even <laughs> at least get a single hit. Anyway, but it's a new year, and the Phillies are on a path to redemption. I remember talking about the Phillies a little bit uh, right after Trey Turner had that error 
and they blew that game, I guess, I think it was against the Royals. This was right before he started to, to get cheered. Mm-hmm. And I remember feeling like, I'm not, I know the Phillies lost that game, but they battled back and forth. I'm not worried about them. They're going to show up when it matters most in October. And I think even the way they clinched was kind of showed some of that. Like, all right, you know, they weren't dominating the Pirates last night. They got tied up at one point. I was never worried they were going to lose that game. Like, they're going to take care of it. They're going to clinch. Everything's going to be fine. That's not going to say the Phillies are definitely going to win the World Series, but like I have an immense amount. I just trust them. I trust them. I think they're going to turn it on here for this postseason stretch, and I think that is going to be very fun once again. It's fun to me to have you know, both of the Eagles season going on and the Phillies you know, entertaining us as well uh, at nights. So I'm looking forward to that. I hope it's another long run to the World Series. The win this time would really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, go Phils. All right. What's your final thought? My final thought is uh, J.D. Power and Associates ranked the airports in America. And they Mm. put them in a few different categories, like a mega airport. Those were, I think, the airports that do at least 30-something million travelers per year. Philly wasn't in that category. They were in the quote-unquote large airport category. And you know where they ranked out of 27 airports nationally in the large category, Brandon? One. One is in best? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. No, I know. No, I dead last. I don't know. <laughs> and you know, who ranked, you know who did rank number one? No. Tampa. Hmm. Okay. So I experienced both of those airports uh, over the mm-hmm. last few days. And- you know what? Here's what I'll say for Philadelphia, the airport. I don't think it's that bad to begin. I agree. People it, always complain about it. Now, knock on wood, because I feel like I gotta say this and I'm gonna have bad experiences, but I agree. It's like whenever I so I have uh um pre-check, which if you fly as much as I do. Well, look you, at you. <laughs> like if you don't have pre-check and you fly as much as I do for these games or whatever, I don't, what are you doing? First of mm-hmm. all, but whenever I so when I check in there's never a line there. I've been to pre-check lines in other cities or whatever, and there's still like, uh, there can be like a pretty big line sometimes. Yeah. Never a line in Philadelphia. I mean, and by like not a line, I mean like literally there are plenty of times where I go up and there's not a single person there. Like I'm almost unprepared and they got to wait mm-hmm. for me to like take out my ID and my boarding pass and stuff. Mm-hmm. And here you go. And they're like annoyed that I'm taking too long. And <laughs> <laughs> so like there's never a line. And then, the other thing too is that the restaurants open super early and guess what? There is no restrictions on when they can serve alcohol. So if I have like when I had a 6:50 flight from in in the morning, 6:50 a.m. on uh, on game day actually. And uh uh I roll up into the terminal and I forget which it was just one of those bars like nondescript mm-hmm. like not a Chickies and Pete's or anything like that. And they're open and they're serving alcohol at like 6 a.m. <laughs> and did I have a beer and a shot before I got on the plane? Hmm. You bet your ass I did because that's what I like to do before I get on a plane. It calms my nerves and I can have that on the way home, Tampa. <laughs> and I can have that. <laughs> my way home, Tampa airport, set my flights at 7 a.m. There's a bar right by my mm. right by my gate and it's open. It opened mm-hmm. at 6 but they can't serve alcohol. They couldn't serve alcohol until mm. seven, 
which did me no good whatsoever because my flight was at seven. I was going to board well before Wait, that. Wait, why? It's such an arbitrary It's so cutoff. stupid. It makes no sense whatsoever. But Six, 6.30 is way too early. Yeah. Seven, seven o'clock, fine. fine. Yeah. It's crazy. So I couldn't have a beer or two or a shot or anything like that before I got on my flight from Tampa to home. And it's ridiculous that you, that, I mean, any, and it's pretty common throughout the country where bars mm. just won't open until some arbitrary time in the morning where it doesn't matter whether it's six or seven or eight or nine or whatever. Just keep like airports should just be like a, I mean, certainly not a lawless, a lawless we, land. We, we want, we want a lot of laws in airports <laughs> for, for good reasons. But on that one in particular, I think we can just treat airports like it's Vegas. Like time is... doesn't matter. Stop with this nonsense where you can't serve alcohol until like eight or nine or 10 o'clock in the morning. It doesn't matter. It anyway. So JD power and associates, maybe you should take into account that mm. Philly bars in the airport. They open and they serve, baby. Never have to worry about it. Like when I go to Newark, sometimes I actually like if I if I have a really early flight and I fly to Newark, you know, often enough for you know, there are certain cities where like you can't get a direct flight from Philly to there, and Newark has them. So I'd prefer to just drive to Newark than do a connecting flight somewhere. And Newark doesn't open their doesn't serve alcohol until, until a certain time. It's actually it's like weird there. There's like one terminal that does, and then the two others don't. Because one of them is in Elizabeth, I think, and the other two are actually mm. in Newark. Like the like it actually the town is flat, something like that. Um, and I'll tailgate my flight, so I'll bring <laughs> a beer with me, and I'll have that in the parking lot after I after I get there and park. And uh, that's probably a little weird to some people, but that's what tailgate I'll do. My flight. <laughs> I'll have I'll have like a beer in the parking lot on you know on the hood of my car, five thirty in the morning sometimes. And I'm not an alcoholic, but uh, <laughs> what kind I, of I beer sound are like you one. Well, are you are you drinking to me? Wrong. Oh, I saw. That's right. Wrong crowd beer, right. of course. Yeah, of course. I actually yeah. did bring one to Philly, and uh, and then I remembered. Oh, they're probably open, and I didn't have it. I saved it for mm. later. But um, yeah. Anyway, JD Power and Associates. Maybe you should factor in alcohol uh, serving. They probably that probably was not part of their survey. And it should be. Do you think they ranked Kristen Roach the number one realtor? Well, I don't know if I even would trust their rankings mm. after this episode. But... I think I think anyone can't get that wrong. I think even the worst rankers can get that one right. Well, it's yeah, kind of like the free true. space on right. the bingo board. It's like they can mess everything else up. Two through whatever could be yeah. wrong. But number one, they can't mess up. Right. Like, they're, you know, when like Tiger Woods was at his peak. You know, like who? If you, if anyone, somebody else was a, the like the best golfer. Phil Mickelson's in the, world, the best golfer. No, be, he's not. Come be on. ridiculous. So yeah, I mean that that's what Kristen Roach is in the realty world. Very the very clear cut best realtor in the history of the universe, as ranked by God. I mean, we already know that too. But uh, in addition to everyone else, you know, doing these rankings, certainly Kristen Roach would be at the top of everyone's list. By the way, you can reach her at eight five six nine zero six nine two nine five if you are looking to buy or sell your home. As previously mentioned, working on getting the video up still here, the video episodes. Right now, you can't see that I am working on uh, signing into Grubhub because I am going to place a pizza and a uh, wings order 
that Jimmy has to pay for is losing <laughs> the Carson Wentz bet that we had. So I'm excited about that. Uh, but make sure you support all of our sponsors, including Chris Roach Realtors, and use them. We appreciate that. As I like to say often, the podcast is free. So uh, if you want to help support it, you can help support our sponsors, including Kristen Roach, including Wrong Crowd Beer, wrongcrowdbeer.com, and RightsToSellin.com. Discount code BGN15 for 15% off your order. Same discount code works at WildRangerPet.com for 15% off dog treats. So do all that stuff. Check us out on social media, so on and so forth. We will be back with you for an Eagles Commanders Week 4 preview. Chance for the Eagles to move to 4-0. Chance for the Eagles to rectify a very unusually unlucky, fluky loss to the Commanders last year thinking about that game today made me more upset about it and i'm like come on like how do you lose come on that was such a just but that's the nfl that's also the nfl weird stuff can happen and you can lose even though you don't deserve to lose necessarily so we will be back not too long in probably friday morning or so to uh to have that preview episode for you until then i'm brandon lee gowton from bleedingyournation.com and that is jimmy kemsky from phillyvoice.com goodbye everybody P G N.